1324, a woman named Alice Keitler was accused of witchcraft in Kilkenny, Ireland. Her story is mysterious and fascinating and considered a landmark case in the history of European witch trials. Find out what happened and didn't this week on Footnoting History. Footnoting history friends, it's Kristen here to keep things spooky this October with the story of Alice Keitler, who gets the dubious honor of being the subject of the first witchcraft case in Europe to resemble those that come later during the height of the witch craze. Alice's story is one of my favorites to study because it is both very detailed and very mysterious. It overlaps with a very momentous period of church history. There's a demon named Art. It's just full of great stuff that we'll get to. Don't worry. But of course, first, I'd like to thank those of you who allow us to keep Footnoting History open access through your donations on Patreon and Ko-Fi. When you purchase Footnoting History merch through our shop link, you not only look like a smart little cookie, but you also help us do what we do and help others find our podcast. We appreciate you very much. And remember, if you'd like a captioned version of this episode, you can find it on our YouTube channel as well as our website. And now, on to Kilkenny, Ireland, where our story unfolds in 1324. Kilkenny is both a county in southeastern Ireland and a town. The town is mostly where we'll be focused today. It's where most of the action happened. It's about 76 miles from Dublin, which is also where some of our characters show up. Kilkenny is really pretty great. It has some surviving medieval buildings, some of which have cool, if dubious, connections to Alice. And it's just as super cute as it sounds. As medieval Irish towns go, there was a bit going on. It was a center of monasticism since the 700s. There is an Anglo-Norman slash English invasion of Ireland in 1169. And the town does get divided into an English part and an Irish part by the later 1200s. The early 14th century is an era of action in terms of European history. There is a tremendous amount of stuff happening politically, economically, socially, and ecclesiastically. The population had grown considerably, literacy was on the rise, and there were more universities and the towns had grown. There's a period of famine in the early 1300s that takes a pretty heavy toll. Very soon after Alice, the Hundred Years' War between England and France will begin. And you know, that didn't come out of nowhere. And of course, the bubonic plague is on the horizon. There is also a lot happening that has to do with the Western Latin Church, what a lot of people today will think of as the Catholic Church. There's also a change in elite perception about the efficacy of magic that will have a very direct bearing on Alice. The really quick recap is that for most of the Middle Ages, people were not that concerned about finding and prosecuting witches. It's not that people didn't believe in magic or that a lot of people weren't doing magic, but the official position of those in charge, especially the church, was that it wasn't really a problem because it wasn't really real. However, things start to change in the 13th century with the appearance, real or imagined, of the dreaded necromancer. Dun dun dun. He was really scary to people. If you'd like to learn more about the dreaded necromancer, please go listen to our episode from the archives. But really fast for now, he 
And yes, usually he was thought to be trying to summon demons to do his bidding, and he was probably an underemployed cleric who was capable of performing what was some pretty complicated magic. The heyday of the necromancer was the 14th century. The 14th century is also the Avignon papacy era. In 1309, the popes moved their headquarters from Rome to Avignon and stayed officially until 1376. From 1376 to 1415, there was a schism where there was one pope in Rome and another in Avignon. And at one point, there are three popes and it's a whole mess. But it's way after the period we're talking about today. So who cares? Just kidding. I do care. And you should care too. But maybe not today. In 1231, Pope Gregory IX established the Papal Inquisition to deal with heretics. Heretics were baptized members of the church who held willful and persistent rejections of faith, and they were considered very dangerous and infectious to the greater community, so they had to be dealt with seriously. Inquisition is a method of legal procedure that had bishops and often Dominican friars traveling around inquisiting into matters of faith in their communities and trying to find and correct incorrect stuff. It often gets associated with the use of torture because, yeah, they did do that sometimes. In 1258, the Pope gave permission for inquisitors to also go after witches if they were also heretics. But people don't really, until Pope John XXII in the 14th century. Pope John XXII is an interesting cat. He was born in 1244 in France, and became Pope in 1316, and he's one of those Avignon Popes when Avignon was the one official seat of the papacy. The thing to know about John, at least for our purposes, is that he was obsessed with heretics and with the idea that people were out to get him by means of sorcery. And obsessed is kind of the right word. He was really very convinced that there were all kinds of supernatural plots afoot. So in 1320, he empowers the Inquisitors to go after witchcraft cases just in and of themselves because it was considered a given that witches were also going to be heretics. Maybe that meant that Inquisitors were freed from the potential complication of figuring out the heresy component separately. Maybe John's emphasis had some real effect. Maybe it was the greater climate of concern about magical practitioners in general. Probably it was a lot of things, but... This is kind of a turning point in the prosecution of witchcraft cases. It's not the point when large numbers of witch trials start happening, but it's an important moment in the larger arc. Alice's case has a lot of the elements that will show up in the trials of the 1500s and 1600s. But it's also an interesting blend of necromancy and heresy trials, which makes sense because it's right there on the crossroads. So I'll tell you what happened, but it's based on some biased and incomplete source material, just FYI. The main source was written between 1325 and 1329, and it's known as the Narrative Proceedings Against Dame Alice Keitler. Alice was part of the aristocracy, which is why she gets the dame. And this source is very detailed, but it's a little problematic. It was written pretty close to the events it describes, so that's good, but Historians think that it was written by Bishop Richard Ledreed, who was the one going after Alice. 
No author names himself in the document, but the handwriting is almost exactly the same as the handwriting in other letters known to be written by Ledreed, so it is probably him. Probably he wrote it to justify his role in prosecuting Alice, a see-I-was-right sort of thing. There are a few other things that talk about Alice. Sometime in the 14th century, there is a Franciscan named Friar Clin who writes about Alice, and there's another anonymous Dublin monk who gives a brief account. And these two things get picked up by other Irish chroniclers. The story was also pretty popular in the 19th and early 20th centuries too, and people were fascinated with the case, but their fascination was largely based on Bishop Ledreed's account. There is a ton that we don't know about Alice's story, and lots and lots of questions remain unanswered. You can find a lot of things about Alice on the internet, but very few of them are serious academic pieces, and a lot of the information they give you is problematic at best, so buyer beware. Okay, so you probably want to know when Alice was born and how old she was when she was accused of witchcraft. You probably want to know where she was from and what she was up to when she was not doing witchy things. Allegedly witchy things. And me too. But I don't know her birthday. No one tells you that information. Perhaps she was born in 1263, but that's up for debate. If she were born in 1263, then she would have been in her early 60s in 1324. And that's a common age for people to be accused of witchcraft later on. The Keitlers were a family of Flemish merchants who had moved to Kilkenny sometime in the mid-1200s from an area that is today roughly Belgium. There's not a lot of information on them. In 1280, Alice married husband number one, a man named William Outlaw. And no, he wasn't actually an outlaw. That was just his name. And he was another wealthy Kilkenny merchant and a moneylender. A lot of moneylenders in the Middle Ages were Jewish, but they were not Jewish. They also have a son named William who grew up to be business partners with his mother. William Jr. is declared an adult in 1303 when he was 21, and at one point he was the mayor of Kilkenny. Sometime before 1302, Alice is widowed and she marries husband number two. That's Adam Leblund, and he's a moneylender too. In 1307, Adam quit claims to his stepson, William Outlaw Jr. And quit claiming is a legal move where he hands over all of his movable goods to William Jr. and cancels any debts owed to him by William Jr. Seems he was the one who owed William Jr. more money and he was getting it off of his books. But Adam had children from a previous marriage who were not pleased with this. And you can start to see why they might not be happy with their stepmother and stepbrother. Oh, family. In 1309, Alice is widowed again and marries husband number three, Richard Deval, who was a wealthy landowner from Tipperary County. And he too brought a son from a previous marriage, Richard Jr. Everyone just names their kids after themselves, guys. What can I say? In 1316, Alice is a widow again, and she sues Richard Jr. for withholding her dower. A dower is what the widow got when her husband died. Usually, it's a house to use until she died, or remarried, or it's money. In this case, it was both. 
Sometime between 1316 and 1324, Alice remarries again. And I know what you're thinking. Wow, that's a lot of husbands. Weren't people getting suspicious? And the answer is yes. And no, that wasn't suspicious or not on its own anyway. Medieval people did often remarry. There was a reasonable chance one spouse would die well before the other. It was not unusual to have several husbands or wives during a person's lifetime. If a woman got married young and she survived past her childbearing years, having three, maybe four husbands wouldn't be that crazy. But there were some complicating factors in Alice's case. She does seem to be going through husbands at a prodigious pace. The husbands keep dying soon after she or her son get some material gain, and her relationship with her stepkids is a bit contentious. Sometime before 1324, Alice marries husband number four, a man named John Lepore, and the kids are concerned. Because John is not looking so good in 1324. And lo and behold, in 1324, Alice is accused by her stepchildren of maleficium. Just old garden variety maleficium or bad magic. At the time, it was kind of a common accusation and one that in English law, which is the governing law of Kilkenny in 1324, was treated as a petty criminal crime. But... This is a time when magic as a crime was going through some changes. The stepkids bring their accusations to a guy named Richard Ledreed, who was the Bishop of Ossory. We don't know much about Ledreed's early life, but he was probably born between 1260 and 1275, so around Alice's age. And based on his name, he was maybe from Surrey in England, but that's not an open and shut case. He was a Franciscan, and he studied at the Avignon Papal Court. Ledreed writes at one point that he was, quote, nourished, educated, and promoted at Avignon, which was in the early stages of not caring much about Maleficium to Maleficium equals devil worship and conspiracy and the heresy to end all heresies. Jacques Fournier was at the court at the same time as Ledreed, and These guys are kind of two peas in a pod. Fournier would go on to be Pope Benedict XII, and in his pre-Pope life, he went after the Cathar heretics in France pretty hard. As for Ledreed, he was made bishop and sent to Ireland in 1317 by the Pope, who was at that time John XXII, that guy. People don't really like Ledreed. He's not popular, and you know what? I kind of get it. He seems to have been a particular hard ass, and people felt he was butting into secular affairs too much. For example, he didn't approve of the body songs people sang, so he wrote them out a book of 60 appropriate, and I'm going to bet not so fun, songs that they could sing instead. I haven't read it. I don't need to. He got a lot of pushback. He was not shy about writing tattletale letters back to Avignon, and he was really looking for heresy. The stepkids complain about Alice using Maleficium on her string of deceased husbands and on them, but it is Ledreed who takes it up a notch and finds elements that will come to resemble the witchcraft accusations in the early modern period. 
Eventually, Alice and her associates are charged with seven things and get ready for this. Okay, so one, top of the list is heresy. Alice and her gang are accused of rejecting their faith in Christ and the church and refusing to go to church and do the stuff that good, faithful Christians do at church. Something to note here is that it's not just Alice. Later witchcraft cases almost always have associates. It's a conspiracy. Witchcraft is a group project. And Alice has her accomplices. Number two, they sacrifice animals to demons and put them at a crossroads. And the main demon here is someone called the son of the art. So the heresy is also very much about devil worship. Number three, they used sorcery to get advice from these demons. Number four, they held assemblies at night where they usurped the church's jurisdiction and performed essentially these inverse rituals. Number five, this one is pretty dang good. Hats off to whoever dreamed it up. They took the entrails of sacrificed chickens, assorted herbs, worms, and the fingernails and the hair from the butts of dead people, the brains and swaddling clothes of babies who died without baptism, and other disgusting things, that they then boiled all in the skull of a beheaded thief, and then made potions and stuff from the goo, and used it in spells against faithful Christians, and to, quote, get countless other things. Phew. So that's number five. Number six. And here comes the Maleficium charges from the stepkids, way down on the list. Four of the sons and daughters, it's not specified who exactly, allege that Alice used sorcery against their fathers. Some she killed, some she infatuated, quote, to their, meaning the stepkids, everlasting impoverishment. And here they mention what's up with husband number four, John Lepore, who is described as wasting away with all his fingernails and hair having fallen out. Then there is a brief description of a knight grabbing a key from a chest away from Alice, opening it and finding all kinds of horrific potions, which were turned over to Ledreed. And finally, number seven, Alice has an incubus, you guys. No proper witchcraft charge in the early modern period would be complete without some sex with the devil. This demon was also called Son of the Art. He's probably the same dude named in the second count. But occasionally he wanted to be called Robin, son of the art. Maybe he wanted to go a little cash, I don't know. Robin slash son of the art sometimes appeared in the form of a cat, sometimes as a black dog, sometimes as a black man in parentheses in the original, Ethiopes or Ethiopian. And he was accompanied by two other demons, one of whom carried an iron rod. Those guys don't get names, which I am a little sad about. Pause and take a moment if you need. It's a lot to take in. The charges are listed in order of importance, or rather, what was important to the bishop. They're not chronological. Initially, John Lepore defended his wife, but then he got sick and changed his tune. Then he died. And that's when the stepkids team up and tell the bishop what's happening. Then he starts his investigation, and then you get this list of charges. But it takes a while for this to get to court. 
Ledreed wrote to the king's chancellor in Ireland, and the chancellor was one of the top, top guys in secular government. And Ledreed demanded Alice be arrested, and he cites a canon law called Ut Inquisitionis from 1298 that talks about how secular authorities have to back up church authorities, and they have to arrest accused heretics, otherwise they're aiding and abetting criminals. But here's the thing. The chancellor was Roger Outlaw. And yep, he's a relative of Alice's first husband and son, maybe even the brother. And suffice it to say that Roger is not cooperating, and Alice gets out of town. At one point, she sues Ledreed for defamation, and you know what? Good for her. So Roger the Chancellor is friends with the representative of the Lord of the town of Kilkenny, and therefore the chief judge and official in Kilkenny. And his name is Arnold Lepore, who does not appear to be related to husband number four, but they have the same name just to make it confusing for you. Arnold arrests the bishop and keeps him on house arrest. The reason given is that he's interfering in secular affairs, but it's kind of a thin charge and Ledreed is eventually released, but he does not take the whole experience well. While he was under house arrest, he put the entire diocese under interdict, which meant no baptisms, no burials, nothing could happen. Ledreed really makes a meal out of his imprisonment, and it's great propaganda for him. He is so dramatic, it's kind of impressive. There are court appeals where Arnold and Ledreed go at one another. People get summoned to Dublin. This all goes on for months. Eventually, Ledreed is given permission to go forward with his case against Alice and company in Kilkenny. But Alice still isn't there. She's fled Dublin and just disappears, and we have no idea what ended up happening to her. Of course, Ledreed was not happy, and he went after her alleged associates hard. People were imprisoned, likely in the Kilkenny Castle, and the bishop interrogated them all personally using inquisitorial procedure, which, yeah, included the use of torture. William Outlaw Jr. was also charged with aiding and abetting heretics. He ended up getting a pretty hefty penance from Ledreed. He had to hear three masses a day for a year, give food to the poor, and re-roof part of the cathedral. He didn't really do it, though. And Ledreed threw him back in jail until William prostrated himself in the mud before Ledreed's feet, said he was sorry, and promised to go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem on top of everything else he was supposed to do before. He doesn't really seem to have made it to Jerusalem either. But he did re-roof the cathedral. In 1332, the weight of the lead caused the roof to cave in. And if you were wondering, no, Ledreed was not inside. The person who truly suffered in all of this was Petronilla Demidia, Alice's maid. She was one of the accused, and she was tortured, and this is where we get most of the details about what Alice did, air quotes. This happens a lot in witchcraft cases in the early modern period. Petronilla almost certainly did not think up those confessions that had to do with heresy and devil worship and the usurpation of church authority. That was stuff that Ledreed wanted to hear, and he made sure he heard it. On November 3rd, 1324, Petronilla was burned at the stake. John Clinn, that Franciscan chronicler I mentioned earlier, wrote, quote, Before her, even in the olden days, it was neither seen nor heard that anyone suffered the death penalty for heresy in Ireland. 
Petronilla's daughter, Basilia, was able to escape with Alice, and maybe that was some small comfort to Petronilla at the end. Ledreed really came down hard on Alice, and by extent, Petronilla, and he was really ready to see heresy and connect it to the practice of magic and connect that with devil worship because of his time in the Avignon court, where there was a lot of focus on both of those things. Many historians agree that the origins of the bigger hunts of the 16th and 17th centuries can be traced to the deliberate introduction of charges of demonic association into heresy and necromancy trials in the 14th century in France. There is a sharp increase in heresy in the 1300s, either because there really are more heretics or the church thinks there are more heretics. But either way, they're going after them harder. And it was about faith and expressions of authority, yes, but it was also about fighting back against the devil and his human companions, who elites were starting to think were really causing harm in the world. Kilkenny is pretty far from all of that initially, but these ideas get imported by the bishop. Many historians of witchcraft history will point out that the belief in and practice of magic both precedes and postdates the main period of persecution. What changes is more elite perception about the danger of magic and their particular focus and willingness to prosecute and punish. Bishop Ledreed remained convinced for the rest of his life that his diocese was full of heretics. He would eventually annoy royal authorities enough to be forced into exile for his shenanigans. He runs away to the papal court, but he does go back to Ireland where people kept hating him until he died around 1360. If you ever find yourself in Kilkenny, make sure you visit the Keitler Inn or take a look at their website, which is listed in the further reading for this episode. It claims it was established by Dame Alice both in the 13th century, which would be the 1200s, and in 1324 on various parts of its website. So I'm not sure which one it is. It also says it has functioned as an inn ever since, whenever that was, I guess. I haven't been able to verify that Alice ever ran an inn. And the part where they talk about her being spirited out of the country before her execution could take place is a little misleading since she was never actually at the trial. But the place looks really cool. They have a whole whiskey menu and a Keitler Inn sharing platter that has wings, garlic bread, cocktail sausages, and mini spring rolls, which for some reason I find delightful. You can find stories online of people claiming to have paranormal experiences at the inn. And while I can't corroborate those stories, I'd go with an open mind. And I would get the garlic bread and the whiskey. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, please be sure to interact with us on social media. Visit our website and consider becoming a Patreon supporter. We would love to keep bringing you exciting historical content. And remember, the best stories are in the footnotes. <laughs>